When I disclose my religious beliefs to other people, the most common response I get is, how can you be a Christian if you don't believe in God? When I talk about these beliefs with people in my professional life, my other scientific peers, (laughs) they generally blow right past the paradox of my spirituality and just ask, wait, so you believe in miracles? I've since learned to respond that I am a gay millennial scientist. (laughs) The fact that I am religious at all is miracle enough. (laughs) But the problem is that I can understand where they are coming from. As someone who is trained in the scientific method, it is my nature to question what is being put in front of me and to be skeptical of its place in the world. And for a lot of scientists, myself included, we struggle a lot sometimes with what I think we can collectively call religious mysticism. And if anyone is unsure of what that could possibly be, I refer you to the water-to-wine portions of the Bible, the walking-on-water portions of the Bible. (laughs) Uh, What else? Oh, talking to a burning bush. That's my favorite. Oh, and of course, the Immaculate Conception. Though, I preface this by saying that Immaculate Conception does have a place in canonized biological understanding. We call it parthenogenesis, and it actually is the reproductive strategy of insects, uh, mainly bees and ants. So, (laughs) science and religion may be not so separate as we sometimes like to think. So, having having this, um, this really represented to me a state of spiritual vertigo for many, many years, really from the time that I was formally asked to write a statement of my faith. Um, And perhaps an important pretext to explain all of this is that science for me is not just a career. It is a calling, and I do mean that in the literal sense. I've had the great privilege of hearing uh, the stories about how Amy and Kent were both called. I am blessed to have people in my personal life who pursue ministry work, and I've heard their calling stories as well. And I can tell you, when I figured out that being a scientist was how I was meant to serve the world, it was not so different from their stories about how they knew that they were meant to serve God. So, at the age of 14, when, I, when it was time for me to become confirmed in the church that I grew up in, I was faced with the realization that I did not believe in God. Not the image of God that I had grown up with, not the image of God that I had heard echoing through, at that point, 14 years of my life. Not some omnipresent, personified higher power that resided over the world, casting judgment on some and allowing others to suffer. It's also worth mentioning, I think, that I was raised in the United Church of Christ, which is one of the many branches of faiths represented in our church here, and is arguably one of the most progressive factions of Protestant Christian life. And even with that progressive upbringing, the image of God that I had been presented had always been personified as omnipresent, like I said, always male, and always an absolute entity. Such is the power of the religious right in this country to dictate what God must mean to American Christians. This fundamentalist and literalist interpretation and understanding of God had to be had permeated my own image of him, clouding out room for a more nuanced understanding and interpretation, 
And when I couldn't accept this image of God, I turned away from it entirely. Now, this may not sound as some particularly large deviation from the rebellious tendencies of any typical teenager, but understand that I was in no way trying to rebel against the religious institution that I grew up in. Like I said, I was raised in the UCC and grew up hearing a really compassionate reading of biblical scholarship that had been taught to approach the Bible as a form of truthful mythology and not to read every line with a literal frame of mind. And much like here, we worshipped by putting our spirituality into practice in our own lives and in our communities, helping to serve those around us and the wider world. I saw that type of Christianity that I was raised in as having a positive presence, and it was so disconnected from the fire and brimstone preaching that I had so readily heard used as justification for persecution. Now, the reconciliation of my faith and my calling is a forever progressing affair, and it forever will be. But for me, at least, it was greatly aided by separating God as he is in heaven from God as he is here on earth, or as I prefer to think of it, living divinity. The story of Jesus healing the blind man, in my opinion, perfectly represents how the Bible offers us this dual image of what God can be and gives us the space to take from it what we need in our own lives. In this story, Jesus performs one of those miraculous acts that maybe those born skeptics like myself would cite as cause for disbelief in religion entirely. He heals a man of congenital blindness. Something that I should note was made possible by modern gene therapy earlier this year. So maybe science has caught up a little bit with Jesus. (laughs) This brought a huge amount of amazement to those who knew the man, not only because of the technical impossibility of what the miracle accomplished, but because because of what blindness represented to these people. We hear the disciples ask Jesus who had sinned to make this man be born blind, demonstrating that the association between Jesus curing the man and his supposed sin was Jesus giving him absolution for said sin. We see God in this story through the act of healing a man of a physical ailment, but what is much greater, to me at the very least, is the living divinity demonstrated here by Jesus. Here was a blind man, a complete social outcast, reviled for an ailment that had been debilitating from birth in both the physical sense of not being able to see, and along with unjustly ostracizing him, from socialized life. From what we can tell, not even his family took care of him. No doubt, they feared the assumptions that had already been voiced by the disciples that their son's blindness had been the result of their own sin. This man has no one. This man is cared for by no one. And yet, here a stranger tells him of his humanity the likes of which he has never known in his life. 
the stranger, in doing so, risks the same persecution, judgment, loss of societal standing suffered by this man every day. There is more than a decent amount of room for fear by this stranger, and yet, nevertheless, he persisted. He pushed past the fear his disciples or the man's community had had and treated this man as his human equal, one son of God to another. And in doing so, he had accomplished a small and perhaps to our ears and minds a simple gesture, but it was a gesture that no one else would make. To me, the real miracle in this story is not making a blind man see. Science has done that, and it is no miracle. It is impressive, but it is no miracle. The miracle in this story is the defiance of fear. In the face of losing one societal power to bring an act of compassion into the world. Whether we are consciously aware of it or not, fear is the driving force behind almost every single decision we make. And it is observed in all living things. But when we are able to set aside our fear of loss, we become vessels for living divinity. I cannot say if Jesus was the son of some cosmic power, or if he walked on water, or turned water into wine, or rose from the dead, or cured a blind man. But I can tell you that in each story about him, he is compassionate and kind with no regard for the impact for his own life, And I, for one, can understand how someone in his time could see that compassion and see that as being divine. I know that I do. I see that same divinity every Sunday when we come here and lift up our prayers for our community as a spoken reminder of the troubles in the world and our collective promise to fix them. I saw that divinity when our government sought to ban our Muslim sisters and brothers from entering our country, and our church, amongst many others, swarmed into Copley Square to protest in a sort of collective, rather shouted prayer. I've seen that divinity in the faces on the organizers of the Ali Forney Center, which is a shelter for LGBT youth in New York City, for young people who have been rendered homeless by the hatred of their families, and as those same organizers try to care for those who are not so different from the blind man. So when asked what the image of God is to me, I say it is all of you. I believe in each of us is a miracle of compassion cloaked in flesh, vessels of the same living divinity that we remember in the life and deeds of Jesus Christ. May we always remember this as we let that same Holy Spirit work through us. Amen.